Well, good morning. How is everybody this morning? Good morning. Hey, somebody's excited. Well, uh, my name is Mark Fellini, as you already heard. Uh, my beautiful wife, Amy, is uh, right over here. And we just wanted to tell you thank you for the honor of uh, getting to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, you know, the thing is, is, is this pulpit is not something that should be taken lightly. I don't take this lightly. This is a, this is a very heavy, uh, a heavy thing to fill, a big shoes to fill. Corey is a, Corey's a good friend of mine, and uh, I love him very much. I've known him since he was uh, a little kid, but he's, he's uh, done incredible things. So again, I just want to thank you, and uh, again, uh, the honor that it is to stand in front of you. So, you know, the thing is, I think, I know, that God created laughter, didn't He? God, you know, it's okay to have fun in church. I was, I was thinking about the kids up here. I love, I love the three boys or the four boys that were standing over here. They're too cool to see. <laughs> I remember those days. My hands in my pocket, going, "I'm way too cool for this." <laughs> but in a church one Sunday morning, the preacher said, "Does anyone have any prayer requests? Please come forward." With that, Bubba got in line. When it was his turn, the preacher asked Bubba, what would you like me to pray for you? Bubba replied, preacher, preacher, I need you to pray for help with my hearing. Preacher put one finger in his ear and the other hand on his head. Man, he prayed, and he prayed, he prayed, and he prayed a blue streak. After a few minutes, Bubba's still standing there. He removed his hands and stood back and says, Bubba, how's your hearing now? Bubba answered, I don't know, it ain't till Tuesday. <laughs> so, you know, old Gary, Gary was having a yard sale. And his local pastor came and bought a lawnmower from him. But he showed back up to Gary's house a few days later complaining that it wouldn't run. Old Gary said, it'll run. You just have to cuss at it to get it started. Pastor looked at him and said, I haven't uttered a curse word in 30 years. Gary said, just keep pulling on that rope. They'll come back. <laughs> Thanks for laughing at my jokes. You know, I told my wife one day, I said, uh, you used to think I was funny. She said, you used to be funny. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll get into God's word. So, uh, you ever feel ordinary? You ever feel kind of plain, kind of ill-equipped? You ever sometimes wonder, man, what am I doing here? God, do you even see me? Is this as good as it gets? Well, there's some men I want to share with you out of the Bible that probably thought the exact same way that you do. You see, Jesus selected 12 men from, above his, from among his early followers to become his closest disciples. After an intensive discipleship course, the Lord fully commissioned them to advance God's kingdom and carry the gospel message to the world. These men became pioneering leaders of the New Testament church. But they weren't without their faults, their shortcomings. You know, there's an interesting fact that we'll dig into this, of 
the 12 disciples, none of them were a scholar or a rabbi. None of them had any extraordinary skills. They weren't religious or refined. They were ordinary people, just like you and me. You know, I think about that word disciple. You know, that disciple is kind of a big churchy word, isn't it? You, know, you kind of really don't hear the word disciple much out of church. But Webster's 1828 Dictionary says that a disciple is a learner, a scholar, one who receives or professes to receive instruction from another, a follower adherent to the doctrines of another. Hence, the constant attendance of Christ were called his disciples, and hence all Christians were called his disciples as they profess to learn and receive his doctrines and precepts. Are we all disciples this morning? I am. I am. I love, I love to learn. But I'd like to introduce you to these 12 seemingly ordinary men. But this is how it all started. If you have your Bible with you this morning, if you would open to Matthew 4, 18... Uh, we're going to read uh, 18 through 22. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Verse 21, a little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind can you imagine for just a moment that you're sitting there doing what you normally do? Your occupation, two were fishing, two were repairing a net. And this man walks up and says, hey, follow me. Nothing in the Bible says, hey, where are you going? Oh, <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? How long are we going to be gone? Are you going to provide lunch? No, there wasn't any of that. Imagine the power in the eyes of Jesus Christ looking at them saying, would you follow me? And going, I'm in. Think about that for just a minute. The power that, and the anointing that that man carried everywhere he went. So, they started to follow Jesus. And now if you'll turn over to Luke 6, 12. Again, I'll read 12 through 16. Again, I'll uh, read out of the New Living Translation. It says, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, there, there's a word that, that I have highlighted. And it's, it's a word that really, really stood out to me then and stands out to me now. At daybreak, he called. He called together all of his disciples 
and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter. Andrew, Peter's brother. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So all of this was taking place in Bethsaida. Um, that part of the country is a lot like Bray, Colorado. Um, it's predominantly agriculturally related. So a lot of those were either fishermen or somehow related to agriculture. Kind of cool, isn't it? They were agriculture-type workers and tradesmen. So let's dig in to these 12 apostles. So Simon, or Peter, he was a fisherman. And you may know further on in the New Testament, he walked on water. Andrew's brother, Jesus, frequently rebuked Jesus. And most of us remember Peter for denying Christ three times. You know, I'm kind of a lot like Peter. You know, Peter was, he, he kind of just go off sometimes. He was kind of, Jesus would have to grab him by the nap of the neck and kind of set him back down and rebuke him. Um, you know, actually Peter was the one who said, and Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes I'm kind of a little bit like Peter. So Simon Peter knew great fear and doubt, but he let his passions rule him instead of the faith in God. During Jesus' final hours, Peter not only abandoned Jesus, but denied him three, denied three times that he ever knew him. I know you guys already know that. Well, let's move on. Andrew. Andrew was a fisherman. Previously, Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And when John proclaimed Jesus as the Lamb of God, Andrew went with Jesus and spent a day with him. Matthew notes that Simon and Andrew dropped their fishing nets and followed Jesus as he was passing by. We read that. But James, the son of Zebedee, also was a fisherman. You see, James was not above making mistakes either. With his brother John, James could be rash and unthinking. He did not always apply the gospel. <laughs> I'm, I'm guilty of this. He did not always apply the gospel to earthly manners. When a Samaritan village rejected Jesus, he and John wanted to call down fire from heaven upon this place. This earned them the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. The mother of James and John also overstepped her boundaries by asking Jesus to grant her sons special positions in his kingdom. John. John, too, was a fisherman. He was James's brother. They later became a part of Christ's inner circle along with the Apostle Peter. See, at times John didn't understand Jesus' message of forgiveness. When he asked to call fire down upon the unbelievers, he also asked for favor in position, in, in uh, asked for a favored position in Jesus' kingdom. So let's move on to Philip. 
In the miracle of feeding the 5,000, again, I'm sure a lot of you have read that, Jesus tested Philip by asking him where could they buy bread for so many people. But see, the thing that's interesting about that is Philip was limited by his earthly knowledge and his earthly experience. He replied, eight months' wages would not be enough to buy each person one bite. Nathaniel, or Bartholomew, Nathaniel scoffs, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's in John 1.46. Thomas. Thomas, Thomas, and how he got his name, Doubting Thomas. The Apostle Thomas was not present when Jesus first appeared. to The risen Jesus had not first appeared to the disciples. When everyone else told him, we've seen the Lord, Thomas replied, he wouldn't believe it unless he could actually touch Jesus' wounds. And Jesus presented himself to him, to the apostles, and invited Thomas to inspect his wounds. But you know the thing about Thomas is despite listening to all of Jesus' teaching and seeing all of his miracles, Thomas demanded physical proof that Jesus had risen from the dead. But his faith was based solely on what he could touch and see for himself. Do you feel that way? I feel that way sometimes. I have to feel it. I have to touch it. That's part of our human nature. Matthew. Matthew. Matthew was a dishonest tax collector driven by greed until Jesus chose him as a disciple. He was notoriously corrupt far and above what was owed to ensure, to ensure their personal profit. Decisions were enforced by Roman soldiers and no one dared to object. But before he met Jesus, Matthew was greedy and thought money was the most important thing in life and violated God's laws to make himself rich at the expense of his countrymen. James, the son of Alphaeus. The title James the Lesser, or Little, helps to distinguish him from the Apostle James, son of Zebedee. James the Lesser may have been younger or smaller in stature than Zebedee's son. We don't know a lot about, about James, the son of Alphaeus. But Jude, it's an interesting thing about Jude. Jude, in the Bible, had four different names. Four different names. Thaddeus, there's two different spellings. Lebeus, and Jude. But little is known about Jude, but he too was one of the apostles. Simon the Zealot. You know, I've always found it interesting when you would read Simon, anything about Simon, Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Do you know what a Zealot is, was, was? 
Azilot was a radical political determined to overthrow the Romans. Some of those radicals were called Sicarii. So imagine this. He became an apostle. But before that, the Sicarii would carry little daggers in their cloaks. And when they found a Roman soldier, unsuspecting, they'd kill him. Became an apostle. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you think in today's society that disqualify you from a lot? Kind of tells you a lot about uh, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? You know, this is this is not in my notes. It's all for free. But there are some churches that are just because of your past, you're disqualified to serve. I actually had a man in our church come to me and was talking to me about his past. And he said, I would really like to serve. But the last church I was in said, no, I couldn't because of my past. He'd been in jail. Because of his past, he couldn't even serve at his church. I thought, wow, you can serve here all you want. But Judas Iscariot is remembered for one thing. We all remember Judas, don't we? His betrayal of Jesus Christ. Even though Judas showed some remorse later, his name became a symbol for traitors and turncoats throughout history. His motives seemed to be greed, but some scholars speculate political desires worked beneath his treachery. He was a thief. He was in charge of the group's money bag, of the, of the apostles' money bag. And sometimes he stole from it and was disloyal. But why these guys? Why these guys? Think about that for just a minute. Just the men that we just discussed, or that I just talked about. Why them? <clears throat> they were outsiders. Total outsiders from the religious establishment of Jesus' day. They didn't have any particular natural talents. They don't appear to have any particular intellectual talents. They weren't highly educated. They were, on the other hand, as we've already established, prone to make mistakes and misjudgments, misunderstandings, bad attitudes, lapses of faith, bitter failure, argumentativeness, and no more than their leader, Peter. And Jesus remarked that they were slow learners, that they were spiritually dense. They weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. See, Jesus knew all of their faults long before he chose them. Sit on that for just a second. Jesus knew all of their faults before he chose them. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their failures. He even knew Judas would betray him. 
but he chose Judas also. He gave him all the same privileges and blessings that he gave to the others. I, I think about this from time to time. I think about this a lot. Is again, Jesus knew what Judas was going to do, right? At the Last Supper, Judas ate. Judas ate with Jesus. He received communion the exact same way the rest of the disciples did sitting at that table. He knew what he was going to do. Could you? Knew that if someone was going to stab you or betray you, would you take them out to lunch? I aspire every day to be more like Jesus. But see, Jesus saw something in them. See, though we think we're ordinary, they probably thought they were ordinary. But Jesus didn't see them as ordinary. See, they walked with Jesus for three years. And there are three phases in those three years that I want to share with you just a little bit this morning. The first one is conversion. And that conversion is just pure and simply that decision that they made to follow Jesus. When he said, will you follow me? That conversion is, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. I don't know what this is going to look like, but Jesus, I'll follow you. The second phase of their walking with Jesus was discipleship, was to become a student of God's Word, to become a student. You know, the, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word wasn't with God. The Word came and dwelt among men. Jesus was the Word. They studied the Word with the Word. Right beside Jesus, they studied with Him for three years. They studied and think about that. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I don't want to get after you. How often do you read your Bible? I, I, I know you guys aren't the kind of church that does this, but I've been in churches that set their Bible on the hood of, or on the dash of the pickup, and they pick it up on Sunday, and they put it back on the dash Sunday after church, and then they pick it up Sunday at church. Become a student. Become a disciple. And lastly, apostles. They became apostles in these three years. Rick Renner, uh, I don't know if, many, or if you guys know who Rick Renner is, he's a great guy. But Rick Renner, gave a great meaning of the word apostle. Rick Renner says it was a person appointed, empowered, and invested with authority and then dispatched to accomplish an assignment. So on apostles, one appointed, empowered, and invested with authority by the Lord, then dispatched by the Lord to do a special task. And their job 
is establishing the Christian community in places where it had not existed before. Believers recognized the apostle as one who had the anointing, authority, and spiritual backing to get things accomplished for the, for the furtherance of God's purpose. So what happened to these 12 men? To these 12 apostles? We'll start with Peter. Peter the apostle, the rock. God told, or Jesus told him, on this rock, your name is Petrus, which is the rock. On this rock, I'll build my church. Peter the apostle, once he was filled with the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, Peter was a fearless missionary for Christ. He was a leader in the early church and obviously wrote the epistle of Peter, of first and second Peter. The apostle Andrew. The apostle Andrew became a missionary and preached the gospel in his what is now the Soviet Union. The Apostle James, the son of Zebedee, he proclaimed the gospel in Syria and one of Jesus' favorites. The Apostle John, he was an elder in the early church in the Ephesus area and he helped spread the gospel message. He wrote the Gospel of John, the letters 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and the book of Revelation. Paul called John one of the pillars of the Jerusalem church. He was the only one of the 12 apostles present at the cross. But see, because John experienced the unconditional love of Jesus firsthand, he preached that love in his gospel and his letters. Philip had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North America and then in Asia. Nathaniel <coughs> became a missionary with Thomas in India. He traveled with Thomas back to Armenia and also to Ethiopia and southern Arabia, spreading the gospel. Matthew displayed one of the most radical changed lives in the Bible. He didn't hesitate. He never looked back. He left behind a wealth and security for poverty and uncertainty. He abandoned the pleasures of this world for the promise of eternal life. Matthew recorded a detailed account of Jesus' life in the book of Matthew. He served as a missionary spreading the good news in Persia and Ethiopia. Thomas. Thomas became a missionary with Nathaniel in India Thomas, Armenia, and also to Ethiopia and southern Arabia spreading the gospel. But see, the thing about the doubting Thomas that I didn't read earlier that I'll share with you now. But see, Jesus didn't scold Thomas for doubting Jesus, did he? When he said, first I have to see from my own eyes. In fact, Jesus invited Thomas to touch his wounds and to see for himself. 
As I said earlier, today millions of people stubbornly want to witness miracles or see Jesus in person before they'll believe in Him. But God asks us to come to Him in faith. God provides the Bible with eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, crucifixion, and resurrection to strengthen our faith. So let's move on. The Apostle James, he proclaimed the gospel after Jesus' resurrection. The Apostle Jude, Jude preached the gospel as a missionary and as a missionary preached throughout India. The Apostle Simon spread the gospel in Egypt as a missionary. He lived true to the Great Commission. But each of these men sacrificed everything. They left everything of their previous lives to follow Jesus. See, in Luke 18, 28, their spokesman, Peter, then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. They gave up family, friends, homes, jobs, and all things familiar to answer Christ's call. There were ordinary men who did extraordinary things for God. But see, I like to look at that, that they set an example for us. They formed the foundation of the Christian church. They started a movement that steadily spread across the face of the earth. And you know what? We're part of that movement today, aren't we? We're part of that movement of spreading the gospel. But all but one of the 12 disciples died for the gospel. So do you still think you're ordinary? Do you still think you're ordinary? promise you you're not. Uh, in Psalm 139, 14 through 16, I'm going to read this out of the message translation. It says, Oh yes, you shaped me first, inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You were breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared before I've ever even lived one day. Maybe sitting there thinking this morning, well, how can I start this journey? A lot of you have. But the first step, as I read earlier, is that conversion. Conversion, that decision to follow Jesus. You know, I, 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 uh, I will tell you just a little snippet about me. Corey could probably go on for a long time. But I was kind of a rough and tumble dude. I really was. I did a lot of things that I'm not very proud of. I came to Christ when I was 40 years old. Uh, I've done a lot of I've done a lot of really really rough things, and I was actually I was at a rodeo Bible camp for my daughter. I was at the end of I was at the end of my I was at the end of my rope. Life was rough. Life was I didn't know if I could get any worse, and you know. 
I accepted Christ on June 19, 2001. And I reached up my hand. I honestly feel that God took a hold of my hand. And we went places. And we did things. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what this was going to look like. I remember telling God, God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't have a clue. Sometimes I tell people that I felt like God was a kite and I was holding onto the string and we were just going. But you know what? You don't have to know what it's going to look like. Just that decision. Sorry, I rented these teeth and they don't work that great. <laughs> but just that decision to say, God, I'll follow you. Jesus, I'll follow you. I don't know what it looks like, but I'll follow you. The second thing, become a disciple. Become a student. Is that we talked to just a minute ago? Do you read every day? Try to purpose to read every day, even if it's just even if it's just a verse. You know, I uh, I don't know if if many of you guys uh, know about the the U version Bible app. Is anybody familiar with that? Uh, I I use the U version Bible app a lot, and. Uh, when COVID started, I started a Bible study for a bunch of men in our church. And so if you're on, uh, if you're on Uversion, friend me, and uh, we'll make you a part of this Bible study. But I, I wanted to keep all the men connected. So we do this daily Bible study. This is devotional and some scripture reading. And now we've been doing it for two years now. And it's, it's getting men to read our Bible, to become students of the Word, to become disciples. And lastly, there's something bigger. There's something bigger for you if you'll follow the steps. If you'll take these steps, the first step and the second step. See, not everyone is called to be an apostle. But you know what? We're all called to spread the love of Jesus, right? You know, I always thought that being a good neighbor was making sure my dogs stay home, that my cows are in, that my fences are in good shape. But you know what? I realized that I share a fence line with neighbors that I don't know if they're going to hell or not. Because I thought I was being a good neighbor. Ask somebody, do you know Jesus? You don't have to be all crazy like You can ask them. Do they know? You know, one time I had two friends of mine. They were like my brothers. And I kept telling God, God, I want to I I ask them if they know Jesus Christ. I want to know. I want to know. And I wouldn't ask them. And I wouldn't ask them. And I wouldn't ask them. And like I said, they were like my brothers. I loved them with all my heart. I still do. And God told me one day, you are more worried about their friendship than you are their salvation. Ooh, that can't be in the head. But not everyone's called to be an apostle. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15, again in the New Living Translation. Now these things are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church in the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard in Christ. 
Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Verse 15 says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Tough question. There is something bigger. I don't want you to raise your hand. Do you volunteer in your church? Do you volunteer in your church? As I go to other places and speak at other churches, uh, our, our church is about, uh, is, is pretty good sized. Um, we always have problems getting volunteers. And we've got a, a congregation, big congregation base. We don't have enough volunteers. You know, I go to a small church, uh, I go to a small church of about 30 people. You know what their number one problem is? They don't have enough volunteers. They don't. You don't have to have any talents. You don't have to be able to sing beautifully and play the piano or the bass or the drums or the guitar, the cajon. But you know what? You have talents. You have a heartbeat. You can stand at the door and say, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Bijou Island. You can. It's that easy. See, ask yourself this morning, and I'm not trying to get on you, okay? But ask yourself, what is my contribution to the kingdom of God? Where am I contributing? So what made the disciples extraordinary? Christ in them made the disciples extraordinary. Christ in you makes you extraordinary. You without Christ? Nah. Not so hot. Christ in you? You're extraordinary. There's nothing you can't accomplish without Christ in you. Or there's nothing you can't accomplish with Christ in you. Can I have the worship team back up, please? See... Again, I'll say this. Jesus saw something in the disciples. And he sees something in you. He doesn't see you as ordinary. And I believe that he's calling you. He's calling you. 2 Timothy 1.9, out of the New King James, says, Who has saved us? and called us with holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, I, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Would you guys join us being prayer real quick? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. Father, Father, I thank you. Thank you for this church, Father. Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here, Father. Father, for each and every person that's watching online. Father, I just plead the blood of Jesus over them, Lord. Father, just bless them. Father, I pray over Corey and his family, Father. Father, that, uh, that they would come back to your people safely, Father. Father, you would bless their time together, Father. 
Father, that you would continue to strengthen Corey to do the work that you called him to do. And right now I want to ask you something. So imagine for just a moment that you're sitting across from Jesus Christ himself. Imagine looking into his eyes and he's asking you one simple thing. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Imagine what those eyes look like. Will you follow me? He's not pleading with you. He just says, will you follow me? That decision is, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. Jesus, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know if you're a kite and I'm a kid hanging onto the string, but I'm willing to go where you want to go. God, I'll let you lead the way. And Father, I thank you for those that are making that decision. Father, again, I just praise you and I, I thank you for today. I thank you for this church. I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. And Father, we give you glory. We give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thank you. Thank you so much. There's one last thing that I want to say. So I believe also that there are some of you here this morning that God has told you that He wants you to do something. That there's something more. That He's... But you're... Holding back. You're a little bit afraid. But I believe that He's calling you into that next in your life. And I encourage you to take that step. You guys, thank you so much for your time. I'll turn it over to the worship team and I'll get out of your way.